Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. I, I wonder how, how you're going uh, as a Christian. It, it, and it's this time of year, isn't it? The, the year is coming to a close, and in some sense, we're sort of just reflective and calming down a bit. Some of us are not. We're building up towards Christmas, but it's the end of the year. And, and sometimes you can look back over the year and say, what, what trajectory am I heading in spiritually? Am I heading on an upward trend or on a downward trend? Uh, others uh, of you might be saying, well, you know, I, I've been really going well, really, really ministering and pouring out my heart in ministry. But, you know, when I look at next year, I just wonder if I've even got enough strength to get through it. There is just so much that so many of you are going through. And I suppose one of the great things is the, the privileges that I have is the opportunity to talk to a bunch of people, a bunch of you, across the congregations that are in those sorts of situations. I know that some of you are feeling anxious about whether this whole Christianity thing is even true and whether it's even worth, uh, and even if it is true, whether it's worth it all that it takes. Uh, others of you are just wondering whether you've just lost the vibe and you're not quite sure what to do. Well, if that's you today, this passage is exactly what you need to hear. Uh, this message to the angel of the church in Philadelphia is the sixth of seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that we've been going through. And... It would seem that not only the congregation of this church, but the leadership of this church were saying, we don't think we can go on. We don't think we've got enough strength for what's ahead. And what Jesus will do is he will tell you exactly what you need to know to be able to persevere. He's going to say, you need three things. An open door, safe passage to that door, and knowing that when you walk through that door, you'll belong. An open door, safe passage to that door, and knowing when you go through that door, that you'll belong. But before we look at those three things, which we will in a minute, we just need to remember who it is that is speaking. It is Jesus. Can I actually have the bipper? Because I'll the thing. Because I'll go back. Look at who is speaking. Jesus introduces himself as the Holy One, and the Holy One is a term which is reserved for God and God alone. So see what Jesus is saying about himself. I am the Holy One. The second thing he says there is, I am the true one. And the true one, it's the, sense, it's the sense of truth. It's the word for truth that's used to talk about, I'm the authentic one. 
I am the real deal. That's what he's saying. And so he, uh, Jesus will say that he's the true light, that he's the true food, that he's the true vine, he, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true one and the holy one. But not only that, he is the one who holds the key of David. Now you're thinking, oh, okay, what's the key of David? What's that all about? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But at least what it's suggesting very strongly is where there is a key, there must be a door, a door to be opened. And he has the key. Well, it's this holy, true, key-holding one that's about to say these three things that you and I need to hear to keep going. That first one is, he says, I place before you an open door. See, this little church in Philadelphia, it was exactly that, little. And not only was it little, it was of little strength. And a little church in a big city can attract opposition from that secular from, those, from that, secular, that secular opposition. But that's not the opposition that Jesus is concerned that they might be facing. The opposition that they're facing is spiritual opposition. It's actually from the local synagogue. And one of the things that's difficult for us to appreciate is that the first believers were mostly Jewish. They would have grown up in the synagogue. They would have, uh, the synagogue would have been the center of their life, their learning, their community, their faith. Everything revolved around their local synagogue. They would have learned all that they knew about God and all that they knew about their history from the synagogue. It was a key place. So today... We think that if a Jewish person wants to become a Christian, they have to convert. It's like moving from one religion to another. But that's not the picture in the Bible. Christianity was not a different religion to Judaism in the first century. It was this continuation of Judaism. It was the fulfillment of Judaism. It wasn't something different. It was the fullness of Judaism. Christianity was Jewish, and many followers of Jesus would have continued to go to the synagogue week by week. So the church at Philadelphia would have been filled with people who believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of every single promise they ever heard in the synagogue. However, what had begun to happen there is there would begun to be a division between Jew and Jew. Not you and you, but Jew and Jew. <laughs> and this division was caused by Jesus, and Jesus said that this division would happen all along. Some saw Jesus as their Messiah, the promised one, and others saw Jesus as definitely not their Messiah, not the promised one. I wonder if you remember the story of the man in John chapter 9 who was blind and was healed by Jesus. There was a whole kerfuffle that went on there. And one of the things that was happening was they had to work out, was this man who is now seeing, was he actually the man who was once blind? 
And so they had to find out, is this the guy? So they went to his parents and they said, is this your son? And the funny thing they did was, well, they didn't really say, yes, that's him. They said, you ask him, he can tell, he can tell you. Now, why did they do that? Why did they in some way disown their son, but at the same time not disown their son? It says this in John chapter 9 and verse 22. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who, had or, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And so too in Philadelphia... The synagogue leaders did not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah and they were not happy with those amongst them that did. So what did they do to them? They shut the doors of the synagogue. Doors closed to you. So you can understand why the Philadelphian believers who have grown up in the synagogue would have felt some sense of a spiritual instability and asked themselves the question, have we made the right decision? Is this right? Have we made a mistake? Uh, we, we have a new puppy. And I was going to show you a picture of our new puppy, but you all would have gone, oh, and would have been distracted for the rest of the sermon. So I decided not to. I have a picture on my phone. I can airdrop it to you if you want. Uh, one of the things our new puppy needs to know at certain times is that there is available to her an open door. Think about it. Or there'll be cleaning up to do. For as much as she knows she needs to know there is an open door to live a happy life. <laughs> How much more for the believer to be reminded that they have an open door that no one can shut to live a faithful life. This door that the holy and true one opens is the door to the kingdom. And friends, Brothers and sisters, if you are going to really give yourself to the Lord Jesus, if you are really going to give yourself to the kingdom, you need to remember that Jesus says that heaven's door is wide open to you. You have an open door. And, and when you remember that door, it is going to focus your life. It is going to revive you when you are low. And it's going to refocus you when you are beginning to drift off track. Why would you live like the door's not open? Why? Why is it that they have a door open in front of them? Well, Jesus says there in verse 8, the reason that they have is, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you a door, uh, an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. That's why they have an open door. They've, they haven't denied the name of Jesus. 
Now, to deny the name of Jesus back then would have been for them to just be a little bit quiet when they're with their Jewish friends that they actually believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And as long as they could keep that not heard, keep that on the down low, the doors of the synagogue would be open to them. However, to have the doors of the synagogue open to them must have only been because you've denied the name of Jesus as the Messiah and that would be to have the doors of heaven closed to you. And here is the thing that we've got to get. If you're here for the first time, please get this point. If you're here for the umpteenth time, please get this point. The door pivots not on religion. The door pivots on Jesus. He is the, he is the one. That, you can say, um, there is a bunch of religions in the world. Which one is right? And we realize, well, our one is right. And someone else says, well, our one is right. You then begin to go, well, who's right? Well, the fact is, no religion is right. Jesus is right. That's what the Bible is saying. The door pivots on Christ and on Christ alone. You want an open door? Don't sign up to a religion. Don't put your con. I just remember talking to a lady recently who said, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. I've heard Anglicans say, once an Anglican, always an Anglican. Once a Baptist, always a Baptist. Once a Presbyterian, always a Presbyterian. My goodness, that is religion. Jesus is the one that we are holding tight onto. The synagogue at the time of the Philadelphians that we're reading did not accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They were effectively turning their back on the prophets, weren't they? They were actually working against the kingdom, which is why Jesus can call them probably the worst possible thing you could call any group, the synagogue of Satan. That's a hard word, isn't it? Not very Christian, Jesus. <laughs> or is it very Christian? Jesus says to the Philadelphians in verse 9, pop that up there, that uh, they claim to be Jews but are not liars. He says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. They are shutting you out, Philadelphians, but it's all right. Because one day they will come and bow at your feet and say, Jesus has loved you. The Messiah has loved you. Now, this, this theme of falling down at their feet is a theme from Isaiah. It's all the way through Isaiah, but particularly in chapter 60 and verse 14. And it's this idea of, in the Old Testament there in Isaiah, the Jews hearing that one day the nations will come and bow before them and say, God is with you. You are the city of God. But do you see what's happening here? 
Jesus is taking that which in Isaiah is aimed at the nations and aiming it at the unfaithful Jewish people. Saying, these guys, you guys, are acting like the nations in not accepting the Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus. That reference to the key of David that was earlier on is also from Isaiah. It's, it's, it's a clear reference in Isaiah 22, verse 22. Nice and easy one to remember. And, and there is this guy in Isaiah 22. His name's Shebna. And uh, Shebna was not very faithful. He was given the key to the temple and to the temple treasury, opening doors, letting people in, closing doors, stopping people coming in, uh, uh, temple treasury, helping people out, all that sort of thing. He was found to be unfaithful, and so the key was taken from him and given to another guy called Eliakim. And Eliakim was a faithful guy, and the it says there that the key of David rested on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So what's going on there? Why is Jesus pointing out this event in Isaiah 22? Well, look at it. There's two Jews, one named Shebna, one named Eliakim. One unfaithful Jew named Shebna, who did have the key, but because of unfaithfulness, lost it. It then was given to faithful Eliakim, another Jew. Do you see what's happening? The unfaithful Jews in Philadelphia, who closed the door of the synagogue on the Philadelphian Christians, they are being just like Shebna. They once had the key, but now they've rejected the Messiah, no longer have the key. It's taken away from them. But the question is, who is the key given to? Is it that the Jews of the synagogue of the time of the Philadelphians were unfaithful and had the key taken away from them and the key then was given to the Philadelphian Christians? We think that sort of makes sense, but that's not what's going on. Yes, the unfaithful Jews had to give up the key to the kingdom because they rejected the Messiah. But it's not the Philadelphian Christians who have the key. It's Jesus who has the key. He is the new Eliakim. He is the new faithful one. He is the one that we put our trust and hope in. And this is important, really important to see that we're not relying on our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. We're not relying on our performance, but his performance. We are not the key holders. He is the key holder. We count on him to open the door. That's why some people say to Christians, you guys think you're so great. You think you're so good and whole, holy and wonderful. You think you're the only one that God loves. We think, well, you're the only one good enough for God. Well, no, we say, no, no, that, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. It's not us that is good enough for God. It's Jesus that's good enough for God. We're just lining up behind him. We're in with him. Not of ourselves, but the gift of God in Christ Jesus is our salvation and that open door. Well, Jesus is the one who holds the key and determines forever who is in and who is out of the kingdom. It all pivots around him. He has given us an open door.
And I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised every single time I hear this. When I sit with people, which seems to happen regularly, people who are on their deathbed or the deathbed threatens, I am surprised every single time when with confidence they say, I'm going to see Jesus. Uh, there's a guy called Des Dick who, goes to, who used to go to the 8am service and he passed away recently. And I just remember him saying, I don't want to go, but I can't wait to get there. Who says that? Someone who knows there's an open door. Who doesn't say that? Someone who doesn't know where the door is, what to do, what's going on. There is an open door. There is also safe passage. And although these next two points are very much shorter than the first one, don't think they are less important. Verse 10 says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, this hour of trial in Revelation is the hour of the downfall of Babylon. You can look at that in chapter 19, chapter 20. And when Revelation says Babylon, it means the world order hell-bent on leaving Jesus out of the picture of their life. Jesus will come and put an end to that worldliness. And now, what Jesus is promising here is really quite amazing and wonderful. That those who do not deny his name, they will make it through whatever trials they face. I remember Jesus praying for his disciples, says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, what, what Jesus is going to do, he's not going to keep you from it but he is going to keep you through it. See the difference? Which means that whatever trial you face, to hold on to Jesus in the midst of that trial will mean that you will make it through. He's not going to protect you from death, but he is going to protect you from spiritual death, which is by far worse and in Revelation is called the second death. Not denying Jesus will give you an open door, a safe passage, and thirdly, it will mean that you belong. The verse 12 there says, To the one who is victorious, oh, I went too far, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Is it? It's interesting to know that in Philadelphia in AD 17, there was a devastating earthquake more than any other of the areas in Turkey uh, experienced. It destroyed everything. And now what Jesus is saying is saying, I'm going to give you stability. And they're going to they're know exactly what that means. Yeah, we are the one place that is so unstable. We don't know what's going on sometimes. But there is a spiritual stability that is available to each and every one of us from Jesus. And that stability is being part of the temple. It says they're a pillar in the temple. Now, by the time Revelation is written, 
the actual temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was after AD 70. So he can't have been talking about that temple. What he was talking about was the new temple in the new Jerusalem. That you will have a home there. That you will be a pillar. I would say it today. You'll be part of the furniture. You'll belong there. It'll be right for you to be there. And then Jesus talks in a different way about the same sort of thing and says, I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. So let me ask you a question. What do you write your name on? Something that belongs to you. You write your name on something that belongs to you. So Christians, what name do you have on you? You might look down and say, oh, I've got the name. <laughs> no, not that name. Name of Jesus. Is it a bit weird to have a different person's name on you? No. Um, can I just ask, has anyone ever seen Toy Story? Just give me an indication if this is going to even work. Sweet, that's enough. There's a movie, a movie called Toy Story, a series of cartoon uh, animated uh, movies. Great stuff. Uh, one of the characters is Woody. And what does Woody have under his foot? A name. And that name is Andy. Andy's his owner. Later on, Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, you know Buzz? Okay. Buzz gets his name and Andy gets up, uh, Andy doesn't get his up, Woody gets upset that Andy, Buzz has got his name on as well, but anyway, but that's, that's, that's another part. But the whole of the Toy Story trilogy, or is there more? Four, yes, four of them. It's really basically about we belong to Andy and everything we do will be because we belong to him. Now go home and watch Toy Story. Watch all four of them today. No, you've got the gingerbread thing. Watch them tomorrow. Have a day off work. Um, uh, but do you see what the story is? Everything you do is about you belonging to Jesus. He's written his name on your foot or whatever. You belong to him. Everything you do is because you belong to him. You belong. You have an open door. And I just wonder if you've forgotten that. And you need to be reminded. You have safe passage. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. He is the shepherd who will lead you through the valley. <clears throat> and you belong. Why would you live like you belong to the world? Why would Woody live like he belonged to anyone else other than Andy? Why would you live like anyone else? like you belong to anyone else other than Jesus. When you remember this, you're revived with energy for ministry because you can say, I have an open door and I'm going to make it because he's promised me this and I'm going to where I belong. So keep going. Jesus says to Philadelphia, keep going. Jesus says to us, keep going. Jesus says to the leaders in Philadelphia, you guys are keep going, you feel weak. Jesus says to the people who are leading this church, I know you feel weak, 
but keep going. And it says to the congregation, keep going. So keep going. Let me pray. Uh, Father, you know uh, where everybody's heart is today. And, and we pray, Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us that out of your great grace, you have given us in Jesus an open door to the kingdom. It's better than any other door. It's going to refocus us, refocus our lives. And, and Lord, not only that, but you've promised that we'll make it through. Lord, we pray that you'd help us never to deny your name, to know where we belong and who we belong to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.